0: My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 38th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And in our last episode, we looked at Nipsey Hussle um, after his tragic death and tried to take some, some learnings from his life and how we could apply it to our own. Prior to that episode, we had a few episodes focused on what I call the Bold Move series, which looked at individuals who had recently made bold moves in their lives and in their careers. And so it's so exciting to continue this series and to have on none other than Chase Coleman. Chase, welcome to the Riley Rant.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me, Paul. It's like we were talking about earlier, man, it's been a, a year or two in the making, so I'm just happy to be here, man. This, this is an awesome podcast, I've been a fan for a while, so I'm, I'm happy to be here, thank you again.
0: No, no problem, man. And to your point, this has been years in the making. So, to give you all historical context, I first met Chase at Coachella of all places. i um, in California. We had um, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and we had mutual friends who were planning a trip to Coachella, and so we had this big group of maybe 14 people or so who Something were like that. Who were there at Coachella, um, living together in one of the villas for a weekend, and it was an amazing experience because. You first connect with Chase and others and you're like, oh, this person is a genuinely decent human being, a jokester, passionate about life and about motivating others. And so you get that in the first four days of Coachella. But I think what I've really been impressed with, with, with Chase in particular, is just, you know, connecting on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and then following you over the last few years and just seeing all the things that you've done, um, particularly with a podcast as well entitled The Millennial Way. Um, it was cool to see just the evolution of that post Coachella, you know, where you get that four-day introduction, but it's really the updates you get after that really form the full picture of who you are. So really excited yeah, you know, to have you on. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that. Man, it's it's cool. And and to your point, like social media, as as bad as we talk about it nowadays, and I say we talking in in a very larger sense like the world, but that's the coolest thing to me is that we're able to... Network and meet new people at these types of events, and then be able to keep up with each other through social media, and maintain a relationship. Right? Like I would say that social media has allowed me, and staying in like group chats has allowed me to stay in contact with a lot of you guys, and also still continue to have the same jokes that we, you know, that we made up for over the three, four days (laughs) that we were down in (laughs) in California for. So it's I'm super happy and super grateful that we've been able to stay in contact because it's been. It's been a lot of fun, not only watching my evolution, but watching your evolution as well.
0: So, I mean, I know you at least from the four days and then now sort of the two-year evolution of just keeping in touch. But would definitely love for you to share just your background from sort of college to moving to Seattle and sort of just what that looked like.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. So I went to Stetson University. It's a very, very small school down in DeLand, Florida, which is right outside of Daytona beach. Mm-hmm. And I actually played division one football there for three years. Um, I ended up quitting after my junior year, not only due to injuries, but I wanted to graduate on time. Um, mm-hmm. so throughout my time at Stetson, I was having a great time as a student, as a student athlete, but I was very lucky to learn very quickly that I needed to kind of take the bull by the horns. And one thing that I loved about sports was that every day we had a depth chart up in the locker room. And one thing that you would see was who's in front of you or who's not in front of you and who's behind you. And it kind of always gave you a ranking to say, I might not be the starter, but I'm aiming for that guy's back. But he's also gunning for me because he doesn't want me to take his spot. And then the five or six other guys who are behind me, they're also gunning for me because they want my spot. Yeah. at the same time, we had to act like a team, so it's a very fine balance of being competitive but also being respectful of your teammates. So in learning that, I automatically had instilled in me that like I had to be the kind of driver of my career. Mm-hmm. And I changed my major at Stetson, you're not gonna believe this, seven times. Wow. So I started off as a bio. The registrar
0: freaking out on you, like, what is this guy doing? What every
1: time I showed up to, I, it happened. I mean, it was almost every semester I was there. Right, I'm only there for eight semesters, and um, it was funny. Every time I showed up, they were like, "Really, Chase?" Uh, again, <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, "Yeah, this one. This is the one. This is the one." And I went from science to business. I tried everything out, trial and error, and then finally, one of my uh, marketing professors sat me down and she was like, "Chase, you are a marketer." like this is what you're good at. You should mm-hmm. you should do this. Like for a career, you'll make a lot of money in it. I can promise you you will be successful in it. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what I want to get my degree in. Work for a big Fortune 500 company, and my uncle worked at Starbucks at the time as an executive. Mm-hmm. So I got in contact with him and he started helping me network throughout the company. And this is at the beginning of my senior year, and I had already gotten turned down from their internship program twice. So I was like, what the hell? Like CBG, there's no way they're going to
0: CPG is hard, the consumer packaged goods companies I mean it's just so competitive to break into especially brand marketing or marketing or anything for that matter so
1: oh man it's you know it's it's very very difficult to break into and there's a lot of people who get their marketing degree and want to get into that it's i wouldn't say it's viewed as like the most prestigious marketing but it's definitely a good place to start your career out because mm-hmm. it's a good like foundation builder so as I was networking through the company and through my through my uncle I ended up meeting the president of Tivana and he ended up telling me like I'm in. I'm essentially in love with you. I think you're awesome. I want you to work for me. And he was oh, like, well, once I have a position open up, I want you to apply, and I think this is going to be great for you. So position opened up, I want to say, like, around November. I applied. I flew out to Seattle around, like, December, January, ended up getting the job, moving out to Seattle, uh, shoot, two days after graduation. So I I achieved my goal. I'm like, step one of, of my adult life, check off. And then I ended up moving to Seattle. I knew essentially nobody but my uncle. And I was telling my friends this the other day, like, you know, moving out here by yourself and knowing one person was great because I got to hang out with him. I got to watch games with him, but he also wasn't helping me meet other people my age. So yeah. nothing against him, but like he doesn't hang out with other 20, 23, 24, 25 year olds. So mm-hmm. I needed to help learn, teach myself how to venture out, which was a great learning. But um, at my time at Starbucks, I worked for Tivana for a year on the brand marketing team. Ended up losing my job after that uh, because our CEO at the time. Decided that the Tivana business was not profitable enough for the Starbucks business anymore, and they dissolved the business unit. So I learned very quickly again, like I can't be putting all of my trust in the people that I'm working for, because they're they have the same responsibilities and worries that I have, which is my next paycheck to keep a roof over my head, and they're also going to do what's best for themselves in the in the interest of themselves, not because they're selfish narcissistic people but because we're all humans and at the end of the day like not to say it's a doggy dog world but to say that we're all kind of trying to like when you're when you're losing your job it's it's a very difficult place to be at because everyone's fighting for the small limited amount of jobs that are still left within the company and you are like i need this job because i need to stay here like for me i was like I'm on a relocation package for two years. I've only been here for a year, so I still have to pay back half of my relocation package. Mm-hmm. I'm still getting started out, so I don't have that big of a savings. Like, I, need, I, I can't afford to leave Seattle right now, so I need a new job. I was lucky enough to be put on the skeleton team, which ended up like what they called sunsetting the business, so closing the business. And then I got ended up getting promoted and put into the CPG aspect of the business. So that's when I moved into CPG for Starbucks, which essentially I was working on the K-Cups team. So anytime mm-hmm. you went to a Walmart, Target, Kroger, QFC, Publix, you could find K-Cups uh, by Starbucks in there. And that's what I worked on. And during that time, another career transition happened. And that's when Nestle came in and actually bought out my division of the business. So in my first two years of my career, I had to go through probably two of the biggest transitions that most people don't even go through in their entire career. And like you mentioned earlier, now I'm at Nordstrom. I got a call at the end of August from, or I got a text message at the end of August from um, this girl that I worked with at Tivana who I actually stayed in contact with over the three years while I was going through the craziness of my transitions. And me and her became really close friends. And she's like a mentor to me. And she called me and was like, or texted me and was like, hey, like, I have an open position on my team. I'm now back at Nordstrom. Like, are you interested? And I wasn't really looking for a job. I was like, you know, I'm not necessarily getting along with my manager all too well. And I think I could do more. I don't think I'm necessarily moving up as quickly as I want, not because I just think that I'm I'm the greatest person ever and I'm the shit and that I could just move up the ladder, but because I think I had proven it uh, multiple times over and over and over again that I was ready for the next position. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, let's, yeah, let's have a coffee. And we sat down, we had a coffee. She told me about the job. She was very honest with me about the job. And she was like, you know, like if you're interested in this, like I would love to move really quickly on it. And I sat and I thought about it talked to a couple of my mentors, talked to my parents. And then after coming to the decision that I wanted to pursue it, the interview process moved a lot quicker than I thought. I mm-hmm. got an offer. And then next thing you know, I got a promotion and I'm leaving Nestle. I'm putting in my two weeks and I'm getting ready to move over to Nordstrom. And I've now been there for about, should I have been there since October? So about five months now. And it has been one of the best things that I've done for myself um, in my career, I would say.
0: that That's amazing. And I, and I think that's Stories like yours are sort of why I wanted to push through this bold move series, because I feel like people, particularly millennials, are at this inflection point where we're trying to figure out what we want to do with our careers, you know, and that's one of the gripes I have with those executive talks, you know, when you're at a company and the executives talk about their careers, and they're like, oh, I just moved here, I met someone, and they promoted me, and now I'm here, and it's like, it wasn't that simple, so I think it's so cool to see how you were able to sort of be transparent and honest about this wasn't a linear path. Um, There were some bumps or some detours or some unexpected, you know, acts or actions that came about, whether it was dissolving a team or acquisitions that no one can sort of anticipate to begin with. And so I think that's why the Bold Move series to me is so important, why I want to continue to focus on it uh, throughout different episodes. Um, And so before we get into sort of the elements of sort of your bold move, I just want to refresh the listeners on what the bold acronym stands for. Um, The B in that bold acronym stands for breakthrough. And so it's my belief that there is sometimes an epiphany or a sudden realization that occurs that forces you to realize, oh, I want to do this or I don't like this and I want to make a change. So that breakthrough is the crucial inflection point to realize I have to start changing my ways O then is the organization, so what's going to sort of get you to that ultimate end goal that you've established for yourself? How long is it going to take? What are you going to do in the process to get there? That's sort of that organization bucket. Then we move to L, leveraging different data points and perspectives. So do you just consult with your gut? Do you talk to other people? Do you read books? Do you watch videos? Um, Do you talk to mentors or, or close relatives? And then the D in that bold acronym, that bold framework, is then ultimately determining the course of action. So what is the decision that I'm going to ultimately make? And so we heard about your evolution and your transition of your career from Starbucks to Nestle to Nordstrom. And I just would love to uh, maybe have you pick apart, maybe not necessarily even in sequential order, but just where those breakthroughs were that sort of got you to realize, okay, I have to change this.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, Paul. And you know, I am going to touch on the Tivano aspect of it because I'd say it really started there. And this big epiphany happened to me when I was going through my first performance review. And I remember my manager and I, when I was, like I said earlier, Being an athlete, I used to get graded after every practice, and the grades were posted in the locker room. So not only did I know who I was behind or who I was in front of and who I had to compete with, but I saw how well I was doing and how well they were doing. And this was on a scale of 0 to 100, like a grade. So I got a 93, but the guy in front of me today got a 96. Well, shit, I didn't do as good as him. You know what I mean? And that means I got to step it up. So I was always used to immediate feedback. And what I learned in corporate America is that people will say things to you to keep you going as motivation and they'll tell you how well you're doing in one-on-ones and they'll say that, you know, you got this and I think you're doing really well and I think you're excelling and you're ramping up a lot faster than I thought you were or I thought you would. But then when it came performance review time and you start putting a dollar sign next to it, something that's actually very valuable, Mm -hmm. um, and you start putting people on on a scale, I learned that what I was being told day to day was not being reflected in my performance review. And my performance reviews were really good. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time I felt like I was being kind of lied to and blindsided Mm -hmm. because I would hear things where I'd be like, but you'd never mentioned that before. Or why are we only bringing this up now? Like I ask you every day for feedback. Like I'm the type of guy that, that does a presentation. Then when we leave, I'm not satisfied because I'm like, all right, so what can I do that's better? And, you couldn't help me in real time, but it took you three months to figure out that it's going to take or that I needed to do this differently. Right? Like you see me every day. Like, why are, why are you not telling me this? And I felt like I was not being helped as much as I at least was hoping for being an entry level person. But when I was working for the, um, back in the marketing organization, even at Nestle, like my performance reviews and what I was being told to were so different. And that was kind of my first epiphany where I realized I need to be honest with myself and, I also need to talk to other people outside of work to help me understand if I'm doing well or not. And this is when I started befriending people, like my my good friend, Chris Johnson, he's a little bit older than I am, but we worked together at Starbucks and Nestle and I would ask him for feedback and he'd be like, dude, you got to fix this, 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 and this, but you are doing this good, but let's focus on these areas. Right. And it was very intentional and it was something that I could make quick pivots to like in real time. And that made me realize like, I can take control of my career, and I could actually take the bull by the horns and move as quickly as I believe I want to because I'm gaining the experience and having the foundation to do it. And that also kind of parlays into the, another thing for me was outside learning. Like the funnest thing for me has been starting a blog and a podcast and like learning how to code, learning how to do recordings and audios and learning how to do pr- production and just being creative through that way. And I took an online course through Harvard Business School online because I realized that I was really, really crappy at business analytics. And I was like, how do I like math but I can't do statistics? (laughs) Like that makes no sense to me, right? And I was sitting in these meetings and I was confused as hell. I was trying to speak up because I wanted to at least have a voice in these rooms and I was actually making myself sound dumber than anything. And I was like, shit, I just need to learn. And I would say that when I went through that course, it also taught me that outside guided learning can help you so much in your life and your career. And I would say the fact that I took the initiative to, to, to learn and to teach myself, people were very impressed by it. And then also it just helped me because I was like, I'm not gonna be a force when it comes to math and learning data analytics and also being able to speak to it. And it helps me in so many different ways, ways, shapes or forms. So I would say one, like just really being intentional about my own learning and my own development was something that I had to take very seriously. And once I learned that, if I take this seriously, other people will. And my mentors and my outside, like, network will help me get my job. Like, when Christine, my manager, who I work for now, reached out to me, who who works at Nordstrom, I was like, she believes in me and she knows that I can move as quickly as I want to because I'm going to put the time and the effort in today and every single day to learn and to continue to grow. And as long as I do that, like other people will believe in me. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I stay at Starbucks or Nestle or Nordstrom, it's a matter of continuing to educate myself and learn and grow. And that could happen at any big company.
0: No, I, I I'm love that. To learn that. No, no, I love that uh, because I think even when thinking about the bold framework and that breakthrough, And that sudden realization, I think sometimes we're under the the wrong impression that the breakthrough means that you have to stop everything you're doing, go into a war room and plan your exit or plan this. And I love sort of your story about how you're talking about it's a bit more nuanced than that. It's like you have your breakthrough, you have this epiphany of, oh, the feedback may not be there, but you're still working simultaneously to create that learning and that feedback loop for yourself. So that you're not just sitting there idle waiting for something to happen. You're having this epiphany but still creating simultaneous work streams, whether it's the Harvard Business Online Analytics course or talking to other people to sort of make sure that even though that realization has revealed something, you can still sort of um, supplement that through your own action. So I love that it's not this dormant breakthrough, but it's happening in in context and in conversation with so many other things. So you talked about maybe feeling initially – the feedback aspect of it may have been lacking, or, or or maybe that was indicative of a larger problem of just understanding your work style and, and how you operate. And so you're mm-hmm. hearing from this new manager, and you're thinking about this Nordstrom opportunity. Let's move to that O aspect, the organization. How did you begin to organize You know what this looks like? Because I mean, I have, to be honest, and I know the listeners know this, I've moved around a lot prior to coming to law school in different jobs. And you know, people joke with me, some of my friends joke that, you know, it seems so easy, but it's really not as easy as people think to like leave, you know, a workplace because you're so accustomed to the people or the routine or whatever else it may be and you don't want to let people down or upset them as you're trying to figure out what you want to do, you know, so early in your career and so would we'll love to move on to sort of that organization component.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a fantastic question and I think it starts with First off, being open to the opportunity, um, because it, it was a manager that I had worked for before, and honestly, I hadn't seen her in about like seven or eight months. I was excited to see her again, and I also w- wanted to hear her out because I know she wouldn't put something in front of me that she didn't think would be valuable to myself. Yeah. And I think that was like a trusting a trusting aspect of it. And then when it became real, it it got tricky, and, and it it was it was very tricky, and a lot of emotion came into it, right? Like, oh man, like I just got comfortable here. I just started getting into a groove. All the people that I come to work with every day, I, I like them, I enjoy them, I like seeing them. Um, we have good conversation, we grab lunch together, we do happy hours. Like there's a, a moment where I felt very comfortable and I was like, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. Like, I don't know if I want to start over again. And then you start talking to other people and then they start throwing other emotions in because they've been through it before and they're just giving it to you real, right? Like it's tough to leave a real, to, to leave your job. You're comfortable. You're going to have to start over. You're going to have to make first impressions all over again. Like you're gonna have to start a new routine. Like you're going to be going down. Like I went from like South downtown to like right in the heart of downtown. So, you know, that's, that's a completely different nuanced place. Like, so many factors came into it. And I would say the first thing that I did was put emotion aside. And I had to kind of go back to basics and say, what is it that I want to get out of my career? What do I want to do? Do I want to do the marketing that I'm doing today? Or would I rather go to pursue this opportunity and do this marketing that I would be doing at Nordstrom, which is not food and beverage, it's now fashion. So it's two completely different ways. And I immediately said, this is a new experience that I could add to my arsenal and I can now become even more of a marketer that I want to be. Um, And then I had that conversation with my manager, it was very awkward. And to be honest with you, the guilt stayed um, up until about a month ago. So I've been at Nordstrom for about three months and still having friends back there. And knowing that it was emotional when I was leaving, people cried, um, as I did myself, because it was a, it was an emotional time just because like we had become so close over the last couple of years and going through a transition of that sort, when you move from a, from Starbucks to Nestle, like we went through a lot and I would say it was definitely an emotional time, you know, as a business, but at the end of the day, I had to do what's best for myself and you know, hindsight, 2020, I'm like, it's, I'm very proud of myself for taking the bull by the horns and and actually going forward and, and saying yes and doing this and being willing to start over again. But at the same time, I I wanted to make sure I didn't burn any bridges when I was leaving. And again, like it was emotional and I felt guilty because I was working on some cool projects. I was doing some good work and I know how long the recruiting process takes and my friend works in recruiting. So I'm like, shit, like I, I know I've just put a lot more work on your plate, but I had to do what's best for myself and and that's what i'm like if there's anything that i would say like you can have that guilty feeling but i'll take that guilty feeling for three months for the amount of happiness that it has brought me and for the Mm -hmm. trajectory it's put my career on for sure
0: well chase you're giving me such great gems so we talked about in the breakthrough phase even when you have this sudden epiphany it can't be idle or in isolation you can still work simultaneously to fill those gaps you're seeing while you figure out your next step but then also in this organization bucket you know, you can do all the planning in the world, you can have your timeline, you could, you know, practice how you're going to say this to your boss or whatever it may be, but there are just certain things that you can't anticipate, like the emotional component or just saying goodbye to the routine or to the people that you develop such great connections with. And so I love the emphasis in that organization section on the fact that you should be planning, you should plot out, you know, I need another week for PTO to give myself some time off, but also being flexible and having mercy on yourself to say, I'm trying to anticipate a lot, but I know there are going to be other externalities that I can't control. Let me be aware that that's a possibility, but let me still move forward with this planning stage. So I love that raw and real aspect of it too, that it's not some easy, oh, I'm out, see you later, don't talk to me ever again, but you're leaving not just the work, but the people, and that's just as important. But that L aspect of the boat framework is leveraging different perspectives. And so... It doesn't necessarily have to be confined to this example, though we can stay on this example as well. But when you're making these, you know, bold moves or thinking about these decisions with respect to your career, who are you leveraging? Is it mentors? Is it family? Is it friends? Um, what is yeah. their reaction when when they hear about you making these bold moves? And what perspectives do you use? And how do you navigate and What was it like navigating those different reactions?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question, Paul. And I would, I'll start off with every decision that I have in my life. I, I would say 90% of them, particularly big ones. I always go and I always ask a multitude of people on their perspective. And my favorite thing about asking other people about their opinions is they're going to give you the real. And I talk to my friends, I talk to my parents, I talk to my parents, you know, a couple times a week. And I always ask their perspective because I value it. Mm-hmm. And i I mean, I respect them as human beings and what they've been able to accomplish. So I'm like, you guys are my ultimate mentors. Um, but I talk to my friends, I talk to my parents, I talk to mentors. I try to gather as as many people that I trust and know are not gonna necessarily screw me over, right? And I'm saying that because I'm not gonna go talk to all my colleagues about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna talk to the select few colleagues that I trust and then also my friends and just my my select mentors to really gather their stuff. But taking a step back, I would say, they expect this out of me. Um, first off, we have conversations similar to you and I, where I always like to go in-depth because I'm naturally curious about things. And even when it comes to my own career, I'm like, so do you think I should make the move to Nordstrom, right? This is the job. Like, I, I like to give as much background as possible. This is what I'm doing today. This is what I'd be doing at Nordstrom. If I leave, I'm up for a promotion at Nestle in the next couple months, um, and I'd be putting that off the table, and I'd also lose my bonus from there. But like, And, and I try to play it out with them. And then I hear their perspective coming back. And first off, none of my friends are ever shocked. They're always like, Well, this doesn't surprise me that you're looking at something something new. Like, did you get bored? And and sometimes they I don't want to say insult me, but they look at me and they're like, Damn it, Chase, like you can't just be patient for with yourself for a little while. And I and I hear them out on it, right? And I'm like, you know, like if they have a valid reason for it, then I'm always down to hear facts and validity. And I think the good thing about talking to a bunch of different people is that you get good nuggets from every single person. And I think that good nugget is what is applicable to myself. So say in a 30 minute conversation with my parents and I'm talking to them about moving, they're like, oh, well you need a 20% raise and you need this and that and you need blah, 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 blah <laughs> yeah. right?" And I'm like, well, it's not as simple as that, right? But the the root of it was that it needs to be incentivizing enough for me to make that jump. So how can I apply that into my life? Mm-hmm. And talking to friends like you and Cam and Howard, particularly about this move, you guys bring up good points around the fact where it's like, okay, so what does this mean about your next move? Right? Like, so what does this mean two to three years down the road? Like, do you see yourself growing within Nordstrom? Do you see yourself only going and doing this job for two years and then being gone? Like, what does this mean down the road? Right. And like, what does this mean also for you and your other aspects of life where maybe you want to move chase? Like you've mentioned moving out of Seattle multiple times, like this, their corporate offices in Seattle, so you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into that. And then, I, mm-hmm. and that just brings – it just brings more perspectives to things that I might not be thinking about. And I would say it's it kind of goes back to the, the B part of it and like having the epiphany aspect of it because mm-hmm. these type of decisions, bigger decisions that are like life-changing essentially, they come about when you think about it for a long time and you just kind of sit on it and you kind of simmer – And I would say, like, writing out people's different perspectives and really, truly listening to them and being fully in the present has helped me out. But then also being quarantined by myself and just saying, like, okay, like, is this what I want to do? Is this what I want to do? Like, is this really going to be best for me? Mm -hmm. And thinking through all the different aspects of it. And then it seemed like it all just aligned on, you know, not not one particular day, but like it was like a Friday where I was really like, going through it that whole week, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I'm like sweating every day. Like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And then I sat down and I just kind of gathered all of my thoughts together. And I was like, all right, mom and dad said this, like Bernard said this, Paul said this, Cam said this, you know, Courtney said this. All right. Yeah. Like, you know what? This is what's best for myself. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of when I came to that, again, an epiphany where I was like, Cool. And that was the most I would say enlightening thing for myself because I felt more calm and relaxed after all that anxiety through all, all of that thought process and talking to people and getting all their perspectives. Like, I look back on it every single time and I'm like, I I love the fact that we argue about it every single time. And this is why I continue to go back to my mentors and my friends and these same people over and over again because we will have a good, thoughtful conversation and we will argue and we will not necess- and we will debate and not necessarily agree all the time. But they're they want what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I get to make that decision. But I get to make that decision with little pieces of everything that they said because it is going to behoove me and be a really good decision for me. And it all ended up aligning fantastic. So that's that's kind of my, my rant for you.
0: No, that's awesome. And so we got through the breakthrough, of the organization, now you're leveraging different perspectives. And I love the point you made about getting other opinions, realizing the context of those opinions. So when your parents are coming at you, valuing that opinion and taking it into consideration but maybe understanding that it also could be coming from a lens of wanting the best for you and protecting your interests that that may be a more risk-averse suggestion not always but yeah something to think about and and then also i love the point you made at the end about i had to take all of this with me into a room or you know into my head and sit with it and, and decide for myself because you're the one who ultimately had to live with the decision which I think provides a nice segue into the D of the bold framework, which is determining and deciding the course of action. So, you know, you give the two weeks notice, you're now three months at Nordstrom and I mean, even beyond Nordstrom sort of what are your thoughts on that bold move you made within corporate America um, and sort of what do you think that tells you about the future and and how you decided on this course of action to, to make that transition? Do you feel like, you now have the tools to make future decisions? Or or what is that thinking like in the determining the decision and the consequence of that decision? How are you grappling with that today?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, first off, I'm very intentional in the planning of my career. And understanding that it's not linear and that in my plan, even my next step is most likely not going to end up being my next step, mm-hmm. I still at least like thinking through kind of like, what does the next year look like? What is the next two years, the next five years, and the next 10 years? Because I have a 10-year, 15, 20-year plan that I want to essentially continue to be on the same path for. So Mm -hmm. I actually put that down on a slide in PowerPoint. That's just the way I was trained to work at Starbucks was that like everything goes in PowerPoint. The marketer in you. (laughs) Yeah, literally. You you know how it goes. Um, But I, I put it on a slide and I keep it there and I continue to iterate on it year after year because it changes. But My 10-year plan is still, or my 10-year goal is still the same. So I like to keep it on paper, and I like to have different iterations. I have a folder on my desktop that's saved to, to the cloud, so that way I never lose it. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I go back to it, and I'm like, what was I thinking a couple years ago? What was I thinking last year? What was I thinking six months ago? And it's just kind of cool to kind of see how, you know, I've evolutionized over that time period. So I'd say that's the first thing I think about when it comes down to just being intentional about my career planning is that I put it down on paper. The second aspect of that is just the fact that i i understand my career is not linear but i always want to continue moving forward in that aspect of it uh or continue moving forward towards my goal and i look back at the three companies, or the i've been at three companies now starbucks nestle and now nordstrom and when i've been thinking about every move that i've made so far one thing i've always been conscious about is the fact that my the first five to seven years of my career are foundational and Mm -hmm. i'm not going to become a director i'm not going to become a uh, a vp i'm not going to become a ceo during this time period and i would say that at least for the first five to seven years of my career i need to be in a world-class marketing organization because i need to learn Mm -hmm. and it's a necessity for me because i have been learning from people who are very intelligent and who are not scared to challenge me in the least bit especially in my thinking and that has only made me better in my craft better in my work and also motivated me to get better So I would say just continuing to look for opportunities that will continue to challenge me. And I think I'll touch back up And I think I touched on this point a little bit earlier, but knowing when to make the jump was one thing that I would say did not come natural Mm -hmm. because I just didn't know when I was not being challenged anymore. And once you get comfortable, it's a good feeling. You're like, oh, I'm in a groove. I know what I'm doing, like all this stuff. But The one thing my managers always told me in my performance reviews that I never really truly understood was it was like Well, you just need more time like you need more time You need to do it again and again and again and I'm like but that doesn't make sense to me because as an athlete like if I'm ready for the next level like No one's gonna tell no NFL coach is gonna come to a to a junior in college and be like kid You need one more year. You need one more year if you're good They're gonna be like no we need you today Like we need you and that's kind of the way I was always kind of learned learned growing up at least so I always kind of had that thought process where it was like if I'm ready I'm ready and I should be put into that and then I'll be challenged I'll be stretched and once I realized that I wasn't being challenged in my role anymore and people were very trusting in everything I did and I was very good at what I was doing that's when I was like all right, it's time to make this jump boom it's time to make a change and continue to go back to the same documents that I've always referenced that I spent a lot of time on because they're not easy to pull together but you kind of like you have to do that deep thinking to truly think about what it is that you want to accomplish over that time period and it's not only just roles but it's skills and experiences that i want to get and continuing to go back on that has really helped me kind of stay on the the path of of moving forward and kind of getting to where i want to get to
0: no that's awesome man and i think what's so funny that i'm so grateful to have you on this episode the 38th official episode of the riley Rand. Hey, hey. i'm talking about Bull moves in that the career component of life, which I think is so important, much less for me as I'm stuck in this law school bubble for the next couple of years, but I think very relevant and relatable to people, particularly in our age group, who are thinking about their careers. And I know that you also um, have a podcast, The Millennial Way, which touches on, I think, very similar topics around how do millennials um, find their voice, um, how do they Get questions answered um, to things that we're all thinking about, but maybe don't have that that mentor like you do to talk with and consult with about how do I resign from this company or how do I even find this job? And so, I mean, our last few minutes, I would love for you to share how people can find you, what the millennial way is about, what the vision oh, yeah. is and what the future looks like for that.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I appreciate that, Paul. So the millennial way is definitely a podcast that I would recommend to any other person who's looking just for advice or tips when it comes to understanding adulthood. I mean, when I embarked on moving to Seattle, you know, from the south, I had never lived on the West Coast. I had ne- I'd been to Seattle once and that was for my interviews. Um <laughs> and I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to register my car. I didn't know how to get a new driver's license. Like these were all new things to me. And I immediately went out on the internet and started looking for blogs or just different articles that I could read to help me out and some articles were insightful but some weren't and I was like why do I feel like a 50 year old man is talking to me this entire time like why can't I just have somebody be super real with me and I realized that there was a gap because no one had put out some type of content of this sort at least none that I could find and that's when I kind of went on this journey and my dad is actually an entrepreneur so taking a step back he's an entrepreneur and I always knew from a ever since I was a young kid that I wanted to be like my dad. So I thought having a side hustle and a business would be cool to own. And quite frankly, I get bored real quickly. So I was like, I need something else to do outside of work. I'm living by myself. I'm really not meeting that many people. Mm -hmm. And this kind of just seemed like the perfect avenue. It was almost like it came hand in hand together. So I ended up starting its Millennial Talk blog. um, And then the Millennial Way podcast came about two years later. As of right now, we're working on building out all of our content to be fully loaded for the next two years. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had you on a little bit earlier, which I'm super excited to get that podcast episode out, but we're actually relaunching it again um, on March 11th. We have a brand new look and feel. Our new tagline is tailoring the next generation of leaders. We really want people to feel engaged and, and understanding that we're very empathetic people, me and my team we just want to help people at the end of the day. Like I don't do it for the money. I don't do it for the quote unquote clout. I don't do it because mm-hmm. I think I'm, you know, this great leader that has all these great thoughts all the time. Like I just like having conversations with my friends and with people who I admire and people who, I used to use the word envy, but I would say I, I admire you more than anything because it's like you're doing what, what you need to do to be successful in your career and in your life. And I respect the hell out of everyone that is successful in that. Mm -hmm. So just being able to bring them on and continue to be naturally curious and then dive deeper into that and knowing that it's good content for for other people because it's it's stuff that we all need to be hearing at the end of the day and the millennial way it's all about conversations like I call them interviews but at the end of the day like they're just conversations between me and another person and -hmm. we're going in depth on a topic. And just having a blast while we're doing it and then also helping other students reach their dreams and goals. I would say my my number one proudest thing that I've ever done with the Millennial Way, and this is the last thing I'll leave you guys with, is helping other students get into MBA programs, get into you know, get through their MCAT or also land their first time job. We've gotten we've helped like twenty five students so far over the last two years and it's been I mean, I, I, I cry or I run around my apartment every time because I just get super excited about it. That's what yeah. that's what fills my heart and makes me happy. So we're just here to help, and nobody should ever feel um, hesitant to ever reach out. You can find us on on the website um, at itsmillennialtalk.com, where you can find all of our links, or we're also on Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, um, as well as Google um, Radio. We're pretty much anywhere you can find us at the Millennial Way Podcast, and I'm I'm the host Chase Coleman. So. If you just search my name, too, you should be able to find it.
0: Well, Chase, thank you so much for indulging us in your bold move in corporate America. I think I wanted to do something on sort of shifts within corporate America because I feel that that's where the mainstream of sort of listeners are. I think people are starting their own ventures and their own startups and trying to sort of leave corporate America and do their own thing. And those stories are important and worth telling. But I think just as important are the stories about people who are just trying to figure out, you know, I want to work at one of these Fortune 500 companies for a few years. How do I navigate making bold moves within the confines of an industry or of sort of a subgroup of an industry or within a particular field such as marketing or HR or whatever it may be? So I really appreciate your insight. I think it will be extremely valuable. And I hope that people will continue not only by listening to this episode, but checking out the Millennial Way to continue these conversations. Chase, thank you so much again for coming on. And remember that if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's the Riley rant.